Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pandats Tackle Politics. This is Pilar Marrero. Today, we're going to have a mini episode where uh, we're going to talk about a hot topic that's happening in the world. And it has a lot to do with me personally, because it's the country where I was born, and it's Venezuela. And to talk about Venezuela, I have a friend of mine um, who is also Venezuelan, a longtime uh, resident of Los Angeles, just like me, Blas Kisic. How are you, Blas? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Bilar. All right. So um, tell us a little bit uh, what your back, what's your background in terms of your job, what do you do? Uh, I am currently working as a sound mixer, uh, but I, uh, I am a journalist by trade, and uh, I uh, have been here for almost 30 years in Los Angeles. Same as me. Uh, and both of us have friends and family in Venezuela Indeed. as well. And we are watching very intently and very with a lot of anguish what's going on. But um, it's been a bit, a, a bit of a, a frustration for me personally to try to explain to people what's going on. because Join the club. <laughs> because, first of all, it's a complicated subject. It's It's a... It's 20 years of history, and it's a it's a very deep crisis that has a lot of a lot of origins and a lot of causes. But at the same time, if you look at it from the point of view of American politics, or or if you look at it from the point of view of the left right paradigm, it's it's very complicated because many of us who are not necessarily right wing people who are actually progressives, have a very strong view about uh, a, a, wanting to see a democratic change in Venezuela. But let's talk a little bit, Blas, about what's going on right now. Right now in Venezuela, over the last few days, we've seen the situation get, go from bad to worse because of lack of electricity and water. What is going on right now? Well, Venezuela had at one point in the last maybe 25 to 35 years the biggest uh, um, hydroelectric uh, uh, power plant in South America, maybe in the world. I'm not sure about that, but it was the biggest in South America for sure. Yeah. Uh, the, the the governments before Chavez uh, had many faults, and of course nothing is perfect, and there's many problems we can talk about on, on another show. But uh, the fact is that for a number of reasons, the Chavez government and now the Maduro government have simply stopped maintaining and improving and, and keeping up the uh, the power grid in Venezuela, and things have just simply come to a head. Now, there are people who think that there's some kind of a, a plot to, to uh, unseat Maduro from power, and then the CIA has somehow... Uh, infiltrated the uh, the hydroelectric uh, plant and and things like that, but it just it would be cool if if it was something fantastic like that. But it's not. And when I mean when I say fantastic, I don't mean that it's a good thing. But yes, it's you know it's science fiction. But it's not. It's just simply lack of uh, maintenance and and uh, irresponsibility and corruption. Let's separate two things here because you said if there is a plot to unseat Maduro and that is why the power grid has become unusable. Uh, there is a there is a push to unseat Maduro Indeed. at this time. <laughs> that's so true. we know we know that's the truth. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, how that came about. We know that Maduro was supposed to start his second term in January after elections that were very contested last year. In fact um, many countries had indicated they did not believe the elections were fair. They were not yeah. 
they I've, were... I've talked I've heard people talk about the Carter Center yes and them uh, and, and Jimmy Carter and the Carter Center supposedly approving and observing the elections no, no, they what didn't. people don't understand is that Carter himself has said that there have not been provable free and and uh, clean elections since 2006 so that's 13 years ago yeah so We know that um, the opposition has gone through many phases all through this last 20 years of uh, Chavez and Maduro, et cetera, et cetera. But what happened in January is that a, the opposition agreed that they were going to, and I, and I guess this is a strategy that we, they were preparing from before, that that they look for, they look towards the United States and other countries for support. Uh, they, they want, I, I guess they talked to Canada, they talked to the United States and a couple of uh, countries in Latin America um, because they decided they were going to contest the legitimacy of Maduro once he took uh, his oath of office on January 23rd. And they invoked a constitutional clause that says, essentially, if there's no precedent, the president of the National Assembly takes the presidency. If, there, the, if there's a vacuum of power. If there's a vacuum. So in this case, they said, well, he committed fraud in the elections, and by that I mean Maduro, therefore he's, no, he's not a legitimate president. So we're going to, um, you know, we're going to swear in Uh, Juan Guaido, who's the president of the National Assembly. So that's to explain how that happened. Uh, and that created a whole reaction in the world where up to 60 countries actually have recognized Juan Guaido as president. Why was that so successful up to that point, you think, Blas? Um, I have heard that uh, the, the, the Juan Guaido was helped by a group of um, of savvy politicians who were as you well said have been orchestrating this uh, uh, this move uh, the first of all I'd like to say that still in some media still today I read and hear that they are describing him as a self-proclaimed interim president which is not really a an accurate a description of what it is. He's not self-proclaimed. The Assembly has voted. The Assembly is the only legitimate uh, political body in Venezuela right now. And it has voted uh, uh, for having the president of the Assembly be, uh, you know, the interim president. And he happens to be that guy. Now, uh, I, I don't really know details. Uh, it's hard to find out specific information when you're going deep like this, but Leopoldo Lopez, who is a, who's a well-known political figure in Venezuela, is supposed to have moved some of his uh, overseas uh, contacts and, and, and he helped basically orchestrate this move. Yeah. Juan, Juan Guaido happens to be a very uh, charismatic leader. He reminds me a little bit, a little bit of Obama. And, um, and uh, they probably understood that he might be a figure that was, in a way, virgin in, in that political climate and might kind of make a difference among the people, which happened to be true. And then uh, how this happened internationally is uh, Venezuela has many allies in the States and in several countries in Europe. And I'm pretty sure that that a uh, movement was initiated. You mean the opposition of Venezuela? Uh, the no, opposition of the, Venezuela, Not yeah. the government. Not the government, of course. Uh, and so they probably used all those uh, overseas contacts in the States, in Germany, in Spain, uh, to, to, to move this, uh, and in other Latin American countries, of mm -hmm. course, uh, Colombia, one of them. 
to uh, to 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 uh, to be a, 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 to spearhead this uh, acceptance of Guaido as the interim president. Okay, so we are we have a standoff right now between the Maduro government and um, uh, Juan Guaido uh, in terms of of what what we call the interim president or. You know, some some media do call him self-proclaimed because I think for journalists, sometimes it's hard to make that jump. They don't really understand his legitimacy or lack of or the lack of legitimacy by Maduro. And there's different opinions about this, I guess. Um, let's go to the situation of Venezuela, economic situation of Venezuela. The what I you know, what people are calling the humanitarian crisis, because some some critics of Guaido uh, and some people on the left here in the United States are saying this is a coup. And they say that, you know, what's happening in Venezuela happens in many other countries. You know, why are we paying attention to Haiti or some other country? I want to make people understand. I want to let people understand and share some of um, the numbers, for example, in terms of the refugees that that Venezuela has created. Right now, according to the UN, um, about three point, and these are probably a few months old, so they're probably much higher, about 3.4, 3.5 million people have left Venezuela over the last few years. Most of them are in Colombia. Uh, more than one million people essentially just walked over. Because that's the easiest way. That's the easiest way. Because sometimes um, I hear people commenting on the Venezuelan refugees or migrants saying, well, they're just the affluent and they just fly into the United States, into Miami. In Miami, you've had only about, the movement has been only about 300 and almost less than 400,000 Venezuelans. The majority of Venezuelans have gone somewhere else. And and by the way, some of those who have flown into the States yes. are quite indigent. Are, are they not just, affluent, yes. They found a way to get a plane <clears throat> ticket and get the hell out. But Indeed. But they're, they're by no means affluent. No, no, not all, not, not most of them at this point. I think the affluent left early on. Right. And I, what we've seen in the last few years is, is, is more and more just regular people. And the level of migration of refugees that we're seeing in Venezuela, in terms of numbers, is the largest... Currently, and in recent history, is the largest in the Western Hemisphere. It's comparable to Syria, yeah. okay? So we know, for example, I've been an immigration reporter for a long time. I've covered, you know, the, uh, the crisis in Central America where we see these kids and these families coming through the border. Well, Venezuelans are showing up in Tijuana. I right. recently went to Tijuana to, to cover, you know, to, to cover some of the Central American caravan and all that. And I found out there's a lot of Venezuelans showing up there as wow. well. So, but that's one thing. So, okay. So we have established, I think, that there's some kind of crisis because people are leaving. Now, we also hear a lot of, well, but, you know, that's because the United States is intervening and it's just, <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's. Somebody told me the other day that there's an embargo. I mean, I think they're confusing <laughs> Cuba with Venezuela. Well, there's, there is, there have been quite a few assets and bank accounts frozen by individual actors in the political life of Venezuela. And unfortunately, uh, I will say something that's uh, a little hard to believe for some people, but uh, the people in power in Venezuela right now are part of a narco 
dictatorial uh, system. I mean, they, they, they are actually active in cocaine smuggling and, and cocaine uh, trafficking. It's really unbelievable. And sometimes uh, I'm, I'm afraid to tell people because they, I, I'm afraid they're going to feel that I'm telling them some story. <laughs> but these people are... You know, criminals. It does and, sound unbelievable. But but remember, and, and they, the uh, nephews of the first lady were indeed. convicted in the United States for tr- trying to sell the DEA. Yeah, $20 million know, dollars in, in cocaine. In cocaine that would take off from the, pri- from the presidential airport. Plane, right. So I, th- yeah. I think that and, tells you something. And in a presidential uh, uh, private plane. Right. Um, and so uh, those people, there's now... I don't know the number exactly, but maybe 20 people who, whose assets have been frozen in Spain, in, mostly in the U.S., mm-hmm. but also in Spain and, and some, some other place, maybe the, the West Indies, I'm not sure. Uh, so frozen, bank accounts, houses, uh, things like that. So that is the, that's the embargo. Yeah, It's but not the, the government. There are sanctions. Of course. Okay, so let me explain what the sanctions against the United, against, from the United States against Venezuela have been. As, as Blas indicated, against individuals. Um, that started in 2015 with Obama. He imposed some sanctions on individuals. Then in 2017, Donald Trump started uh, restricting the access to banks. So Venezuela, the Venezuelan government could not go, could not come to the United States to a bank and ask for like financing uh, for their debt or whatever. So that was cut off right there. Enter the Chinese and the Russians. Yes, well, that's yes, exactly right. And then just recently, a month ago, the Trump administration again imposed what will be the most grave and 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 difficult and hard-hitting of these sanctions, which is the oil. They essentially said we're not buying any more oils. But I want to make sure that people understand, during 20 years of Chavismo, the United States was buying oil and the selling... The biggest, biggest buyer. And, and selling uh, chem- chemicals that are used to process the the oil that Venezuela gets from, from the soil... Um, for all this time until a month ago. So there's no embargo if the United States has been has been the the biggest buyer of oil and the the also the country that sells the additives and the chemicals right. that the Venezuela needs in order to change that oil into other products. So that's one thing. So there's What's going on, it's not related to the sanctions because, according to economists, Venezuela has now had six consecutive years of recession. This is something that only has happened to 21 countries in the history of the world, and it's happening to Venezuela. This is the sixth year of economic contraction in Venezuela, and that has nothing to do with the sanctions it has to do with the management of the economy never mind the fact that the that the inflation is something like 1.4 million percent hyperinflation hyperinflation yes. which uh, no there's no way for the government for the US government or any other government to 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 somehow affect that in a country of 30 million people which you know would otherwise be a healthy and vibrant economy which obviously it's not Venezuela has always been uh, has had one big Uh, product that it sold to the world. It also sold uh, natural gas and, and iron and, and gold and diamonds and other things. But oil has been overwhelmingly the biggest uh, the biggest uh, uh, thing with which Venezuela pays its bills. Export. In that and biggest export. Thank you. And that hasn't changed. 
what no. what actually has changed is is that they have exported less simply because of ineptitude and inefficiency and, and other problems that we don't have time to discuss right now. Yeah. But not because the U.S. has anything to do with that. Yeah, we can, it's very hard to explain everything about Venezuela in a short time, and we don't want to go too long. Next but- episode, we have three hours, <laughs> and we'll explain everything. Yeah. So, okay, <laughs> we've established that there's a dire um, humanitarian crisis, that there's... Um, you know, big economic uh, recession, and that the there's no boycott on Venezuela. So um, I think um, we come to today, and right now uh, we have uh, had over the last few days a major uh, blackout. Venezuela has been without power and uh, water. You, and water because a lot of the water is uh, is pumped by electricity. So. Um, what is the government saying is that is the United States. It's an attack. It's an imperialist attack. First, they said that it was a hacking. But it so happens that all the experts came out and said, well, first of all, this is an analog system, so it's not attached to any net, to any digital network, so nobody can hack it. And uh, the actual hydro um, power plants are protected by the you by the Venezuelan army, so nobody can get there, and 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 second, the 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 only the other thing that they said it was that some kind of electromagnetic ray that came from the sky. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, that that was what Maduro said uh, a couple of days ago. But the experts have said that what really caused this latest crisis is, first of all, that this is a system that hasn't been kept up and maintained for a long time, but that a few days ago, there was a fire uh, because of weed, overgrown weed that is covering these lines, these power lines in the middle of the south of Venezuela, which is Estado Bolívar. I think this is the jungle, essentially. Basically, the rainforest. The rainforest. And and it, 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 it essentially burnt the line, and because the rest of the system has not been kept or modernized, and, and it wasn't even working, it, it collapsed the system. So there's an element of corruption here that we can talk about another time. But there were millions and billions and billions of dollars that were spent by Hugo Chavez many years ago when he said, "There's a crisis of the electricity. We're gonna, we're just gonna build this modern system." And he gave out all of these contracts, and the money for those contracts has disappeared, and they haven't done anything to it. The plants did not work. They were not there. They were not modernized. Anyway, so here we are. Uh, The United States has now taken a very active role. Um, As I said, in in some of the latest uh, actions that have been taken uh, against Venezuela, against the government, Mm, there's a lot of pros and cons to that. Some people are Afraid or nervous that it could mean military intervention. Of course, we know what the history is in the United in, of the United States in Latin America. But so far, the United States has had the attitude that they're only, they're going to push, but they're not going to go in there militarily. At least that's what they've said so far. I think a majority of Venezuelans feel hopeful that this there can be some kind of peaceful resolution to this that these sanctions against a government that is essentially seen as completely not only illegitimate, but incompetent, and more than incompetent, even criminal, can can push them to negotiate a way out. We don't know if that's going to happen, but I think for the first time in a long time, Venezuelans feel, feel some hope that this is possible. But do you think? Indeed, less? indeed. I'm not a big fan of President Trump. Uh, but I think the U.S. government is uh, doing something 
that that's geopolitically positive. And as you said, uh, as long as it's done with the, in concert with other countries and um, and uh, in a way that will uh, spare as many lives as possible, because the the the, the bloodshed is uh, a very unfortunate potential, and I really hope it doesn't happen. So it is a positive development, in my opinion, in spite of my misgivings about the president. Indeed. Okay. So, thank. It's it's. Too bad we cannot explain everything that needs to be explained, but we have limited time. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being with me today, Blas. Thanks for having me. And I, I encourage Americans to really read and talk to Venezuelans. Talk to Venezuelans. Don't you know? Don't just make a, a decision by just listening to mainstream media or just you know, looking at Twitter, which can be horrible in terms of, <laughs> can be of painful. putting, you know, like conspiracy <laughs> theories in your head. Talk to Venezuelans and learn a little bit more about um, the situation there. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.